about 12 years ago, some of you old people remember that uh, we had a, a monthly, a regular television program called The Open Word. How many of you remember that? Is there only one or two old people? Our focus used to be primarily on social events. And during that time, I made three predictions. The first was that within a very few years, homosexuality would become forefront news. They would be out of the closet and even demanding that we accept their way of life. That has come to pass. I also predicted that abortions will continue and in fact even increase, but not too many Bahamians will not be even aware of them. And there'll be no emphasis in the, in the legal or the medical field, but it'll go on nonetheless. That too has come to pass. Abortions pervasive within our community. I made also another prediction. And that was that Junkanoo would become a part of a church's regular activities. And people will say that if we do not make it a religious experience, we are against the culture of the Bahamas. That too has come to pass. In fact, my heart jumped when I saw Ricky and all those come up with these things today. <laughs> I thought we were going to have the rush out, man. Good grief. <laughs> with all those things in there. But I made those predictions and they've come true. And I'm not the prophet or son of a prophet, but it's just by seeing the trend of culture. That's all. And what is happening. Well, today I want to make another prediction. Because as unbelievable as it may seem, if things continue as they are, within the next generation or two, the story of the birth of Christ will not be mentioned. It will be as rare or perhaps even unknown as the story of Burki and Barabi. You remember that story? I even, I even remember the names anymore, so old. But when we were growing up with the royal readers and everything, remember that? What were the names of them? Let me see old people. Was it Baruchi and Barabi? You remember those stories were going on all the time. Every child, every adult knew those stories. But not today. They're gone. I predict that if things do not change within the Christian community, that will also be true of the Christmas story. I predict that we will follow the example of the United States of America, where there is a concentrated effort to silence people talking about Jesus Christ. You say, that cannot happen here. That's what the Christians in America used to say. But it has. The Christmas story is essential for God's program for the world. In fact, the Christmas story is what God uses to extend his kingdom in the world. That's why I think that if we are really, really concerned as Christians to continue the, Christ, the, the, the story of Christ, 
that we will buy up this opportunity during this season. Don't mind what you think of the origin of Christian. You can use it to tell the story of Jesus. If it's any time that people are open or should be open to the story, it's right now. And if it's any time that Christians have an opportunity to share their faith, it's right now. You all write Christmas cards, don't you? No, you don't. Yes, you do. That's a tremendous opportunity to put a little word in there about the coming of Jesus Christ to your family and your friends. But do we do it? No, we go buy a ready-made one. But you want an opportunity to witness? Here is the opportunity. And to go to the scriptures, you will find that God has used all kinds of ways and means to carry out the story, to convey, to transmit the story of the coming of Christ, his son. The Christmas story did not begin in Matthew 1 or the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. It did not begin in Bethlehem. It began in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. Look at verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is, of course, right in the middle of the curse, as we call it, because of Adam and Eve's sin. This is what God says. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Speaking to Satan through the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the head. Paul tells us in Galatians that that seed is who? Jesus Christ. Genesis 3.15, therefore, is the first record of the telling of the Christmas story. It didn't begin in Bethlehem. It began in the Garden of Eden when man first fell. Christmas story was told. But now turn over to Genesis 5. I just want you to see how important it is to God for the Christmas story to be told. And how he has been doing it through all of his revelation from Genesis to Revelation. It's there. Now you know some years ago, not too many years ago, three, four years ago, there was big emphasis on the codes in the scripture. Remember that? The idea was... Turn that mic down a minute. That wasn't stage. That's the real one. I'm allergic to somebody around here. Uh, anyway. um, where was I? The code. That's right. Ah, oh, boy. The code. Let me, let me tell you a story. You know, I believe the devil is after me. Really. I, I, I'm serious about that, especially with my health. I'm, I'm serious. This is no joke. I have all kinds of things. Yesterday, Nancy and I had planned to do some visiting. But we said we'd stop and have lunch. So we stopped to a favorite place. I'm not going to tell you. And I ordered boiled fish. And I put my pepper on the boil. I was, ah, that was good. But right in the middle of it, I felt like I was back to my old life drinking. Because when I drink, 
I become hot inside. That's true. Everything just seems to blow up at me. My head was pounding. I was doing like this. My legs felt like lead. I was experiencing immediate food poisoning. I could hardly drive home. And I sat in the throne room for a long time yesterday meditating. In fact, it was so long, Nancy had to come and ask me if I was, you know, if I really meditating in that place. And so I was in bed all until late last night, and I had to be up all night working on messages. But I mean, I was sick. I really was wondering if I should call somebody to speak this morning. But I'm thankful that, that, uh, that God did a good job on me last night. I appreciate that. But I'm serious about that. I, I, so pray here. It's, something is happening here with my health. I'm trying to ignore a lot of it. But be praying. And I'm just saying that because I, I'm, somebody's going to give me the flu right now with that thing. But turn with me now to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. I call this an obituary genealogy. This is the place, if you have a King James Bible, you go through it, you're going to find that he died, he died, he died, he died. Remember that? That's all it said. He died, he died, he died. Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam has lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the son, the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And that's the sequence you see through all of that chapter. Different individuals are named, and then it concludes with, and he died. This is a chapter we have a mention of Methuselah, the oldest man who ever lived. You remember that? Well, I don't mean remember him, but you, you know the story of Methuselah. The oldest man. It's a wonderful thing. God gave him a name and says that until it comes was his name, was the meaning of his name. And he gave him that name, and what happened was Methuselah lived from that point on until the flood came. And so Methuselah's long life was really an indication of God's grace. Because all during that period, not only the 120 years that Noah lived, but for all of the years of Methuselah, God was extending his grace to his people. And as you go through this chapter, you'll, hear, you'll see certain names mentioned. Now, I don't have time to deal in detail with them, but all of the names have a meaning. Now, follow me. Take your Bibles and follow me as I go along, because I'm going on along quickly. This, isn't a, this is just the introduction to the message, so this doesn't count as far as the time is concerned. All right. The name Methuselah means that his death shall bring. As I said... The men at the end of this death, the flood came. And during the year that Methuselah died, the flood came on. That, that prophecy was given to Methuselah's father. Age, by the way, that Enoch God gave the first prophecy in Scripture that is repeated in the book of Jude. We won't go through all that right now. Then in verse 21, Enoch had a son. His name is Methuselah. We went through this already. His death shall bring. Enoch, of course, never died. You remember that? He was translated, or like some people like to say today, who are dispensationalists, he was raptured. 
Come see him as a symbol of the church. By the way, this is the reason why Methuselah can be the oldest man in the Bible, but yet he died before his father. Do you get it? Because his father was translated. But then Methuselah had a son. His name was Lamech. The word almost explains itself, lamentation. Or you could call it despairing. Lamech, of course, is the father of Noah. Noah means to bring relief or comfort. This is exactly what Lamech says in verse 29 of the chapter. He called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord had cursed. Now, you take these names and you put them together sequentially. Let me give you them again for those of you who missed it. Adam, man. Seth, appointed. Enosh, mortal. Kenan, sorrow. Mahalel, the blessed God. Jurad shall come down. Enoch, teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech, the despairing. Nor rest or comfort. Now when you put these names together sequentially, as presented in this genealogy, believe it or not, you get a Christmas message. This is what it says. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. That's the meaning of those words when you put them all together. It's a Christmas message. God has used all kinds of ways of proclaiming the Christmas message. Even in a genealogy of death, he presents the Christmas message. Now, you think that's, a mess. You think that's amazing. Go over now to Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament. This is where we have the genealogy of Jesus Christ as well. But this is an amazing genealogy. Let me read it. And as you look through it, as we go through it, I want you to see if you're going to be blessed through this reading. How many of you really go to the genealogies for blessing? Most of you skip it. Too many funny names, unpronounceable names. And if you read the King James, especially the begotten and the begotten, you know, all those things. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. You notice the emphasis on begetting? I was going to say begetting, but that's not that's right. This is the idea of perpetuating, carrying on someone or something. Judas begat Pharaoh and Zara of Tamar. That's Tamar. And Pharaoh begat Eshram, and Eshram begat Aram, and Aram begat Amandab, and Amandab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Booz. This is King James now. Now, that's not, not B O O Z E, this is B O Z. It means Boaz, of course. Of Rahab, the King, the, the King James says, is really what? Rahab. Now, notice. And Booz, I'm still reading King James, begat Obed of Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon. 
of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Now, who's that? That's Bathsheba. Now, we could go on. I won't because the names get a little bit more difficult, and I don't want to become embarrassed here. But this isn't an ordinary genealogy. This genealogy isn't simply tracing the, gen the, the generic uh, roots of Jesus Christ. That's included, mind you. But that's not the only thing that's in here. What Matthew is doing is he's not just giving a mere genealogy. He's telling a story. And he's using the names of individuals to tell that story. This is a story of the promised Messiah. And Matthew does not begin in Genesis 1 or Genesis 3. No, he begins in Genesis 12. Because Genesis 12 tells us the story of who? Abraham, the father of the nation. The one that God says through him, what? The whole world will be blessed. And so where does Matthew begin? Look at the chapter. It begins with Abraham. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the first recipient of the promise to be a blessing to the nations. How is he going to be that? Through the coming of Jesus Christ. And Matthew follows the travels of this promise through the lives of Abraham's descendants for thousands of years. And then he comes to Bethlehem. He stops in the manger. But he begins with Abraham in Genesis 12. Now the names that Matthew presents here are not necessarily related to one another by direct bloodline that characterizes our family tree. You know, when you do a family tree, you begin and you try to go way back to the very first father or forefather, whatever it is, and then you come down, showing how the lines go. But that's not what Matthew's doing. Because actually, some are left out. So these people are not bound together to a bloodline necessarily, but rather as parts of a story that Jesus started, God started, way back in Genesis 3. The Christmas story. The Christmas story. The coming of Christ. These names are bound together by God's purpose of bringing into our sinful, condemned world a message of hope and salvation through Jesus Christ. And you need to see that as you read these genealogies. Let's take a closer look and see what this is all about and what Matthew, the inspired writer, is doing. There are at least three groups of names I want to mention because we don't have time to look at all of them. The first group has to do with women. Now, if you read through this genealogy, you'll find that in the middle of all of this male-dominated genealogy, four women are mentioned. That's all. Four. Why did God pick these four women? Why are they so important to this genealogy and this story? Take Tamar, for instance. Read her story. Read her life story in Genesis 38. If you ever heard of a dysfunctional family, go to Tamar's family. We know nothing about dysfunction until we read the story of that. She hatches a plot to bear a son to her own father-in-law. You know the story? 
Or did some of you skip that because that's a little too... You see, back there, in the days that they lived, the culture said that if a husband died, left her wife without her children, then the father-in-law was responsible for getting another husband so that her name could go on. That happened here with Tamar. Judah, of course, is the father-in-law. Well, he provided. He said, here's the second guy. You can carry the name on. But he said, I don't want to marry her. And so here Tamar stands without any hope of marrying or having a child. But more importantly, Judah wouldn't have a son, a grandson rather. Judah wouldn't have a grandson. And therefore, the line would stop. You get the picture? The line would stop. So Tamar says, hey, I got to do something about this. So she disguises herself as a prostitute. And as a result of the union with Judah, a son was born. Now remember, Judah was a direct descendant of Abraham. And therefore, he was a bearer of the promised Messiah. The promise was about to die with Judah. But Tamar, disguising herself as a prostitute, saves the day. Now listen to this. Tamar saved Christmas. You got the message? Because if she did not do what she did, I'm not looking at the morality of it right now. Because this is one of the things I can ask God all about. But if she didn't do that and Judah went on his merry way, there would be no Christmas. The line would stop with Judah. So according to this list, this first woman, if you throw her out, this immoral woman, you throw Christ out as well. And what's so terrible for a lot of you, you'll throw Christmas out too. That's not bad enough. Is it bad enough for you? Well, let's look at another woman. What's her name? Rahab. Now, Rahab didn't pretend to be a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. In fact, she had a big brothel. Right on the top of Main Street wall on Jericho. She lied. Today she would be charged with treason because she went against the people. But she hid the spies. You remember the story? So that she and her family could be saved. This prostitute, this wicked woman, a foreigner to the Jews, an alien, an outsider, a tainted woman, a traitor to her own people. How would you like to have her as a part of your family tree? But think about this. Without Rahab, there'd be no Christmas. Without Rahab, humanly speaking, there'd be no Christ. Take Ruth. She was an alien. She was an outsider as well. And she had this odd union between a man who was a Jew, Boaz. She was a Moabite woman. Her bloodline carried no status. In fact, the Jews looked upon her as a dog. But yet, because of a decision to turn away from her people, to embrace a mother-in-law who was a Jew, she became a part of the story. Who was the Jew that she embraced? The lady. She was the grandmother of King David. That is, Ruth was the grandmother of King David. Follow me now. Who was King David? King David is one of the main ancestors of Jesus Christ. 
But if there's no Ruth, there'd be no David. If there's no David, there'd be no Christ. If there's no Christ, you wouldn't have Christmas presents. There'd be no Christmas. What about Bathsheba? How would you like to have all these people as a part of your family lineage? Wouldn't you be proud? Say, here's some members of my family tree. Most of you all will cut down that tree. But not God. He brings them out. And he highlights them. He goes now on to Bathsheba. And then, in fact, the text here, it says that she who was the wife of Uriah, didn't even call a name. Who was she? Well, she committed adultery. She said, well, she was forced to do it. Was she? Mm-mm. Bathsheba became the mother of Solomon. Right? But there's also another son to David. His name was Adonijah. Adonijah wanted to usurp the throne from his father. You remember that? Enough time to go into it. And to do away with Solomon. But Bathsheba stepped in. She prevented that and caused Solomon to be part of the throne. Get to read the story. But here is the thing. If it wasn't for Bathsheba, the line of Jesus Christ would have stopped. There'd be no Christ. There'd be no Christmas. No presents for you. Think about it. Bathsheba. Without Bathsheba, you can kiss Christmas goodbye. Look at these women. Everyone immoral. Well, wouldn't say that about Ruth so much. But she was seen as an alien. As an outsider and one who turned back on the people and all of that stuff. But I want you to see that God chose these people. These individuals. That none of us would choose to be a part of our family. But God did it specifically and intentionally. He chose these people. To be a part of the genealogy of his son. How about what about the men? You all sitting smugly. Oh, look at all these women, eh? But go down the line. Again, we don't have time to go through all of the men. Look at Jacob. <laughs> now you talk about a real character, Jacob. I mean, he started stuff even before he got out of his mother's womb. Lying and cheating and trying to take things from people. Isn't that right? Conniver. Now, we could go all the way down the line to David. Don't talk about David. All the day we look at David as a man after God's heart. And we forget all of the evil, bad things that he did. And we also fail to recognize that the grace of God was at work. The grace of God was at work in Tamar, in Rahab, in Ruth, and in Bathsheba. He was at work in the life of Jacob. And all the other names that are mentioned there. Even David. The point is, God was working through these sinners to convey the message of a coming Savior. And he didn't use the best of cream of the crop. The rich, the famous. Look at all the kings mentioned there. We can talk about them in a moment. Most of them were wicked men who disobeyed God, turned away from him. But God used them nonetheless. You talk about having skeleton in your closet? Jesus Christ got a graveyard. But don't miss what Matthew is doing here. There is divine inspiration behind this tabloid-like reporting. He's telling us a story. He's telling us the Christmas story. 
A story that reminds us of the promise from God for a new salvation and forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. He's telling us a story as it was handed down and made its way through all kinds of people, all kinds of sinners, sinners like you and sinners like me. That's how the Christmas story came, through sinners. Matthew is saying here, that Christmas has come into our world because those who held the vision and those who seemed to merit the spotlight in the area of grace, those who needed Christ, were the ones who carried the message. Read the stories closely. There's no sentimentality here. There's no fairy tales ending here. No knights in shining army, the fairy tales and all of that. No simplistic goody-two-shoes types in this family tree. No, no, no. Matthew's list of names sounds more like the people that you and I know. In fact, when you look at it, it sounds like you and me. The life that we lived. And this is what we cannot forget. You know, someone has said, I don't know who, God writes straight with crooked lives. God writes straight with crooked lives. That's what he's doing here. God is writing a straight story using the crooked lives of sinners to do it. Grace. God's grace. Now what is the message here? Well, here's one of them. God wants you and I as sinners to carry the promise of Christmas to someone else. That's what this is all about. He begat, he begat, he begat. This isn't only biological generation. This has to do with passing on the faith from one generation to another. And what does God want to do with the Christmas story about the coming of Christ? Christ being sent. That's what Christmas means, by the way. Christ is sent. What does he want to do? He wants us to carry this message on in our own lives. If people like these can make it onto Matthew's list as a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, how can we say that we have no part in carrying on this message in our own lives today from one generation to the next? In fact, last week, I was quite interested to see a bulletin that came out about a lady who was a teacher for seven, over seven years. I don't know if you saw this. And she was a good teacher. But then someone who wanted to do her harm found out that she was a stripper before she became a teacher. And she was a stripper, and then she accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And her life changed. And she trained to be a teacher, and she was a good one. But now they brought up the past. Is she fit to teach children because of her past life? And the big headline was, should she be given a second chance? Isn't that amazing in the news? Should you be given a second chance? What God is telling us in this genealogy is that God is a God of second chances. Second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Listen, these people were questioning whether or not it's possible for someone to turn their life around. Or will they be plagued for the rest of their life because of a past life? God says, listen, I can turn that life around. I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, to make it possible for you. That's what this story is all about, my friend. If God didn't give us a second chance, most of us would not be here today. This is where God's grace comes in. I know I wouldn't be here. I would either be dead up in Fox Hill or up in Sandlands. 
the drug addict or an alcoholic. I'm serious. But I am here. Why? Because of the grace of God. Because of the Christmas story. All of us come here, we sit up, we look so nice, and but all, all of us are hypocrites. Well, suppose it was possible right now for God to take all of those sinful things that you've done just yesterday and last night and put it in the front of your just placarded here. Every one of you all will go under the jail. I don't care how pretty you look, how nice you smell. Every one of you will go under the chair. Isn't that right? Every one of you. But it causes, we can't look on Rahab and Tamar and all of these people and look at those sinners. God is doing the same thing in our lives. Look at Ambrose. You heard his testimony the other day. God is, Ambrose is here today because of the grace of God. He changed his life. Look at Pastor Arnett. See that saint up there? He wasn't always like that. God changed his life. Look in your own life. God changed your life or you wouldn't be here. It's the grace of God. But see, here is the thing. God is telling us that we've got to carry that message of his grace that appeared in Jesus Christ onto others. It's possible for us to stop the genealogy by not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one of the major reasons why I have instituted here at Calvary Bible Church to have a birthday party for Jesus Christ on December the 25th. Trying to bring it home. What? It is his birthday, isn't it? At least that's what we say we celebrate. But you know, we've become so good, he should, oh, no, no, that's the time for family. And so we don't gather together on this special day anymore because it's for family. Oh, is that right? Show me that in Bible. No, I do it because I want us to emphasize the fact that the gospel message contained in the Christmas story must be handed down from generation to generation. That's why all we do is focus on the story that on Christmas Day is being read, is being shared through poetry, not through drama. What? We want you to understand that if you as parents stop telling the story in the next generation or so, no one will know the story. And this story of Christmas is important, and God is showing it right here. And so, friends, without you carrying on the message, the message could stop. He goes on to mention kings, bad kings. But those kings represent institutions, a government, and even churches. That's right, churches. It's amazing to me how we would put all kinds of things aside, spend it on selfish celebration of this time rather than utilizing it, buying up the opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me. Some of you are going to look at, for instance, what's happening on, my, on, on Monday. You say, oh, that's just a bunch of foolishness, man. I'm going to stay for my children and open the presents. Not realizing that perhaps coming into this institution, because this institution is important for carrying the message on. You know that? That's what's happening in the United States right now. They're trying to get it out of the institutions, the message. Out of schools, even out of, you can't even pray. You can't have a, Manger ain't up anywhere in government or anything else that touches government. They're trying to take it. You say it'll never happen. Oh, yes, it will if Christians remain passive. You see, I'm just thinking that somebody else is going to do it. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You've got to do it. You go down the list. There's another bunch of names here. The last group. The kings represent institutions like government and the churches and so that need to carry it on, but are failing to do so. 
And even as I say, the church is failing to do so now as well because we're becoming so in rapid culture. But then he, mis- he mentions another group of people. He mentions Abayud, Eliakim, Azor, Zadok, Akim, Eliud, Eliezer, Methan. And then he says, Jacob, the father of Mary's husband, Joseph. You don't read about him anymore. In fact, all those names that I list there, the only place they're mentioned is right there. There's nowhere else in Scripture where those names are mentioned. But they are mentioned in the list of people who've carried on the story of Jesus Christ, through genealogy. Unknown people! Anonymous people! I call them cameo appearances in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Show your head, boom! Just like in the movies. I read of one time, one actor, real popular actor, he was paid something like $10 million just to have his face shown in a movie without saying a word. Cameo appearance. That's what these men are here. Cameo actors on the stage of the story of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what are you saying as well? You see, you could carry on the gospel and share it with somebody else, and that person could receive Jesus Christ, and their life could be changed. And your name might not even be mentioned, but the story will go on. How many of you have heard the name Charles Turnquist? No Long Island people here? Yeah, that's the man who led me to Jesus Christ. How many of you have heard of the name Stephen Corbett? None of you here. Well, you should have. He was out of me one time. He was a young man, younger, much younger than I, who was a navigator, trained in knowing how to lead people to Christ and to build them up in the faith and teach them to know the scriptures and so on. He meant a lot in the building up of my life. But I call his name here. You don't know him. I'm thinking now of a short, gray-haired Baptist missionary out on Fort Charlotte who taught me how to study the Bible. I used to take my bicycle every night and I used to ride down to Fort Charlotte. And this little white-haired Baptist missionary used to preach the gospel. He used to teach me the word of God. But who is I can't even remember his name. But God used him to help me to carry on the message. You understand what I'm saying? And that's what God is doing today. And so when you look at this and you hear here that the word, he's saying he begat, he begat, he begat in this genealogy. It's not talking about the physical bloodline only, the succession that comes from one generation to another. No. What God is talking about here is the conception and birth of new faith and new life in individuals who experience the coming of Christ in their own life and passing it out on to a new generation thanks to the faithful witnesses of those who've gone before who we don't even know. So let me ask you, will you pass the baton on to someone else in the story of Jesus Christ? Or will you cut off this genealogy in your family because you do not share the Christmas story to your children or to your grandchildren, or you don't take part of activities in your church that do so. And so let me ask you as I close, where does the Christmas story, the story of Jesus, the birth of the gospel, with its promise of hope and its proclamation of peace, where does it start? Well, according to Matthew, it doesn't just start in a manger in Bethlehem. That's too simple. That's too limited. 
No, it starts with Abraham. And incredibly, it moves through imposters, through traitors, through connivers and pretenders. After all, that is what grace means. The grace of God has appeared to all men. What? Bringing salvation. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And this story has come through kings and through slaves and through aliens and through churches and communities of faith like ours that share the gospel through the Christmas message, the Christmas story. That Christmas message has been not only proclaimed by well-known evangelists, but is being proclaimed by John Doe's and Jane Doe's of the world, like you and me. Now, I don't know who you identify yourself with, whether to the women or the prophets and kings or to these unknown individuals, but I know this thing is true of all of us. You've heard the Christmas story. You've been embraced by the grace that it brings. You've been renewed by forgiveness. You've been included in the peace that he brings. You've been inspired by its promise of new life for the world and for you. And now I ask you, where does Christmas start for you? It can start right now. You've never received Christ. Christmas can start in your life if you receive him as the first Christmas gift as your Savior. It can start now today, and it must continue today in your life, in each one of us. And so I ask you again, are you ready to carry the Christmas story to someone else today? Has the grace of God so marvelous, so wonderful, that it touched our lives and transformed us? Is that story worth your telling someone else about it? That story of grace, wondrous grace, amazing grace. Can you share it with others? The story of Christmas, of God's grace, can start with you. Commit yourself right now to sharing that message to someone who needs to experience the grace of God.